0: I'm Joey Braun. And I'm Avery Chapman. We are launching One Love. We created One Love to shed a light on the many people currently facing difficulties, adversities, and hardships in their lives. There are
1: platforms such as GoFundMe that allow people to receive support from people all over the world.
0: Our goal is to use video and audio to put faces and a voice to these stories. Join us by supporting those who need
1: our help. One love, connection, compassion, kindness.
0: So hello and welcome, the both of you. We're going to talk briefly about the GoFundMe and baby Rue. So if you could give the listeners a brief rundown of what's going on right now. So uh,
2: Rue is now three months old. For the second month of her life, uh, had some pretty significant medical issues that got worse um, uh, since birth. And we found out that she has a very large brain tumor um right uh behind her optic nerves. And uh she has uh tumors that have spread throughout her brain and her spine. She's had three surgeries, um a fourth tomorrow. Um having
3: her third tomorrow.
2: Oh, it's her third tomorrow. Her third tomorrow. Um she had a surgery for um a shunt to be um, put in place she'll have that the rest of her life uh, to um, keep the fluid down in her brain um, they got a biopsy of the tumor so that they could add, you know send it to pathology and figure out what what's going on what it is And she had uh, since then they've determined that she has a, an extremely rare form of cancer called pilomyxoid glioma um, astro astrocytoma is like the full name of it but it's just super rare. Um, not, there's not even enough people who have it to do, um, studies on. She is, you know, uh, she was given a treatment plan to, um, start chemo. Uh, so she started something called baby pog, which is, um, just a a step up from the least aggressive, um, type of chemotherapy you can start. Um, and so she had to have her second surgery to install, um, a central line. called a Hickman, so that they can get the chemotherapy into her bloodstream um, the easiest way possible. Um, And her third surgery tomorrow is to have a a G-tube installed because the tumor, the large tumor, takes a very high caloric load and there's no way for her to ingest enough you know, just from breast milk or from formula through a bottle or even through an NG tube, which is the tube that goes down your nose into your stomach. She just, she can't get enough um, on a daily basis to like meet the demands of development and growth and the tumor.
3: And she also excessively pukes because of this tumor and Mm -hmm. has diensynthalic syndrome. Um, diencephalic syndrome is ultimately hyperactivity within the child. So, for example, when we Ru, when we lay Rue down in bed, um, she'll just kick and she'll move around um, almost like how someone with ADHD is hyperactive. It's her whole body is that way always, and so not only is she puking excessively. She's burning excessive calories through constant movement of her body.
2: Mm -hmm. And so we've, we as a family have pretty much been living in the hospital full time, um, for the past month, month and a half. Um, when we first went into the hospital, uh, COVID restrictions really had us on lockdown. We couldn't leave our room. We couldn't leave the hospital. Um, and so large amounts of cabin fever set in, um, as we just watched our, our baby suffer. And, but since then they've lifted the restrictions, we can leave, um, we can run errands, we can come visit our animals. Um, but, uh, we still, every night we sleep at the hospital cause we don't want to be apart from our child. And so, I mean, the GoFundMe is really just, um, about trying to raise enough because it is, it is very hard to, uh, Very hard to, if not impossible, to work in the hospital. I'm a therapist, so I have to have a level of HIPAA privacy with my sessions. And on a given day, we have 15 to 20 people who are in and out of our our room all day long. Um, And so I have largely not worked for the past month and a half. Um, I try desperately to filter in a couple people cause I don't want to leave all my clients without support, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a concern. And, you know, even insurance has started to send us letters saying that they're not covering medications and they're not covering procedures. So
3: Andrew um, will also need a service dog for her seizures, um, and also to help with her development, like getting dressed and fetching things. Um, I filled out an application yesterday, but service dogs aren't free um even though I wish they were they're, they're about $50,000 um on average depending on the type of service dog that she may mm-hmm. require as she gets older um and that's something that we want for her because mm-hmm. we want to be able to pre- have an animal that can predict her seizure in 20 minutes in advance, because if she were to fall and hit her head, mm-hmm. it would be catastrophic um, because that tumor is so large. And if she were to have a concussion, the amount of pressure that she already has due to the hydrocephalus, she had a concussion. It, it could kill her. Mm-hmm. So we have to be prepared always to make sure that she's protected in any way, shape or form. Because anything that a regular child does, it could have catastrophic um, consequences there's, yeah, there's for risk.
2: her. Yeah, and, and we don't know because babies, you know, at, at her age, you don't know too much about how well they can see, um, how well they can hear, so on and so forth. But the tumor is right behind the optic nerve. Um, there's no current concern that like it has deteriorated the optic nerve, but we have no idea if, if it's going to impact her sight, whether or not she'll end up being blind at some point. Um, so that's, that's kind of just why we're, we're raising support and trying to get her story out there because, you know, we're in a tight situation.
1: Yeah. We, we want to help you guys get that story out there. You guys are going through so much. We spoke on the phone. I was like, these guys are, are super humans. They're doing so many things. Outside of this situation and having to deal with this situation, struggling with work because you got to be at the hospital all the time with the COVID precautions, they alleviated them a little bit, but you still have to go within those timeframes and follow those guidelines. When I was reading up on the story a little bit, what we want to, for these next couple of minutes, just go into, you know, what led up to that diagnosis for baby Rue um, when she was born. And then you guys obviously going back home and then going back to the pediatrician to figure out what's going on. I know you said there's something with her eyes moving back and forth that you noticed. So kind of just go for the next couple of minutes and talk to us about what led up to that diagnosis. In the world we live in right now, Dating is crazy. With COVID and not being able to go to restaurants and bars, how do you meet somebody? That's why we decided to partner with Foreplay for this week's episode. My best friend Thomas and I are visiting New York City in a month. With COVID, it's hard to meet new people, and it leaves the question, what dating app is the best to meet new people in your area? For us, it was obvious that it was Foreplay. What makes Foreplay unique is that it's a double dating app. So it's not like all the other apps where you swipe right on one person, it's individual. Thomas and I can go on that app together, put both of our photos, our bios, who we are. And with the app, we're gonna go ahead and match with two girls that are probably best friends or friends that are looking for two guys to go on a double date with. This totally takes out the awkwardness of the date, which is something that is super common for Thomas and I with other dating apps. Head over to the App Store and download Foreplay. That's F O U R P L A Y. Right now, Foreplay is only available within 50 miles of New York City. If you're not in New York City, join their waitlist so we can get them to launch in your city. Download the app and join the waitlist today. You can also head over to our episode description where you can click on the link and download Foreplay from the App Store today.
3: be better for me yeah yeah for sure and it
2: starts before she was born so yeah
3: so with her specific cancer um they believe that her cancer began the moment her cells split in utero to become a child so when um she was seven weeks old her night almost passed away due to hyperemesis gravidarum which is a disease in pregnancy that causes excessive vomiting COVID had just hit when this began to get very bad for me. Um, I went to the ER and I had a doctor say to me, if you have a miscarriage, you have a miscarriage. But honestly, that's the least of our worries with the amount of COVID patients we have. And so I I was pretty sure I was going to have a miscarriage. And I had a miscarriage right before Rio as well. Um, and so when it hit about 23 weeks in my pregnancy, um, I had been diagnosed with circumvallate placenta and ultimately the short version of that is there's a high risk of placental abruption, which could kill me and the child. Um, it would cause, um, excessive bleeding in my body and she would be detached from the uterine wall, which would take away her supply for life. So fast forward to October, I start having preterm labor symptoms and end up in triage. Um, Her head was in the perfect position for her, um, for me and her to go into labor. Um, I was given a test and she tested positive that said, you know, any day could be labor. Um, I went in and out of the hospital all of October and I had preterm labor all the way up until December. Bed rest. Um, I was on bed rest. I, I honestly couldn't do anything because she, anytime I would try to exert myself, just like by going grocery shopping, I would start having contractions. And because she was already so small, if I would have given birth early, there's a chance she wouldn't have been able to make it. When I was about three weeks out from giving birth, they noticed that Rue was extremely small. She was small for gestational age and ultimately they should have done a C-section, but in the area that we're living in the hospital that we went to, they're very religious and they don't believe in C-sections. Mm-hmm. They only believe in vaginal births, um, And so they put my child at a very high risk. So she quit growing the last three weeks in my stomach. Um, so when she, w- when I went into labor on the 10th of December, Sorry, her down. <laughs> um, when I went into labor, I um, it was very quick. I was in a therapy session, and i had, I had um, contractions that were six minutes apart. By the time I ended that therapy session, they were three minutes, and by the time we got to get in the car, they were about a minute apart. <laughs> I got to the hospital, and I was about four centimeters dilated, um, and they only admit you into labor and delivery when you're five centimeters dilated. I started walking around um, the labor and delivery room, and I went up to seven centimeters. So they got me um, into labor and delivery, and they put on the heartbeat monitor, and they noticed that her heart rate kept dropping. And when I say dropping, an average for a baby in utero is between 120 and 160, and her heart rate was going down to 50. They had me start pushing at 9 centimeters rather than 10 because there was a high likelihood that something was catastrophically wrong, whether it was the um, umbilical cord around her neck, if she wasn't, mm-hmm. if she was, there was too much pressure. And so I started pushing, and within 32 minutes, I was able to deliver her safely, we had a ped surgeon, four or five doctors, and a lot of nurses. It was very scary. Um, you know, she came out, and seemingly there didn't seem to be anything wrong. So we went home, and we noticed she couldn't lay on her back. When we would try to lay her on her back, she couldn't breathe, and she would oh, cry. That's a
2: strange sounds that she would
3: make. Yeah, she cried excessively. seemed very uncomfortable. Her head was always large. (laughs) She had a very large head. Her head was in the 97th percentile and her body was in the 3%. So you can imagine that that's a pretty drastic difference, (laughs) Um, you know, and she also had what's called nystagma. Nystagma is when the eyes move back and forth and are unable to focus. Now, a lot of babies have this, but what was special about Rue is that she never got rid of it. And it got worse. Mm -hmm. And so what we ended up having to do, we were going to a lot of pediatric appointments. She was jaundice, low blood sugar. So they wanted to keep a really close eye on her. She began to show symptoms of failure to thrive. And failure to thrive is pretty serious. It means that a child is not growing within the limits that a pediatrician would think is safe.
2: Yeah, not the right trajectory. (sighs)
3: Yeah. So she wasn't meeting her, you know, her, her, her marks for growth. And so we, we ended up going to the hospital for the first time. And it was really, really discouraging. We had a doctor who ultimately tried to convince us that our daughter had nothing but reflux. I had begged him crying and begged him to scan my daughter told him my mother had a brain tumor. My father had a tumor. Um, My mother has had eight different types of cancers herself. And I know that my great-grandmother on my mother's side also had nine different cancers. And so there was something that I felt was severely wrong. My brother had reflux when he was younger and it was different than how she was, um, like what her symptoms were. He got angry with us. And he ultimately made us feel like we were hypochondriacs and that we were just out of place. We were sent home and we were home for five days and she was doing okay, but she started losing weight again.
2: Still puking.
3: Mm-hmm. And we went to the pediatrician and we were like, hey, like this, this nystagmus is really bad. Like we're, 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 t- we're almost two months here we really would like you to tell us like what's going on. And she's like, you know what? I think you need a cranial ultrasound. So they send us to the hospital.
2: And at this point, you know, been out of work for quite a while. um, And, you know, desperately trying to get back into a routine with work. And we were not planning for another appointment that day. And so we had to urgently go over to this cranial ultrasound at the drop of a hat. And we're trying to get out of there as fast as we could too, because we knew we weren't going to get the real results there, anyways. No, we were no, going to no. have to wait for a phone call. Um, so we went and we did it.
3: We were driving. And within two minutes of leaving, our pediatrician called us and she said, I need you to turn around right now and go to the ER. I said, Is there any way that we can go home and grab some clothes? She was like, No, your daughter has hydrocephalus and bleeding on her brain. Go to the hospital, and I'm a wreck because Giles is unable to go into the ER with me. And here we're hearing that our daughter has a brain bleed. And when I get to the ER, they restrain my daughter and they, they take her blood and she's puking and she's screaming. No one's allowing me to comfort her. And she was in excessive pain and they take her to do an MRI and the neurosurgeon comes back and says your daughter has a massive tumor and I was I asked if it was cancer and they didn't know they needed to do a three-hour MRI which required intubation but we were taken up to the ICU and Giles met us up there about six hours later we get into the ICU and the next day they intubate her And she comes back and the next morning, the day of her surgery for a biopsy and a shunt to be placed to relieve the hydrocephalus. They tell us that her tumor metastasized and that she had free floating cancer cells in her body and tumors along her spine and throughout her brain, which meant cancer. They didn't even have to do a biopsy, but they knew it was cancer at that point. Mm -hmm. She goes into surgery And she comes out about nine or 10 hours later. It was a very long surgery. And And
2: that day, um, that day was the one year anniversary of when we lost our first child to a miscarriage. And so it was a haunting, terrifying day to realize that like 365 days earlier, we lost a child. Um, And the fear of that just like loomed over our heads. It was terrifying.
3: Um, She came back and they told us that her tumor was inoperable. They already had to hang one unit of blood for a two centimeter biopsy. Her tumor has spidered its way through the lakes of her brain and major blood vessels and has a lot of tiny tumors Um, elsewhere in her body, and that the shunt could fail because of the free-floating cancer cells could stop the shunt from working by blocking it, which would also be deadly. They began to discuss with us that the next year of her life would be chemo, and it would have to be strong chemo, um, because although she's only stage two, she could turn to stage three, which goes very quickly into stage four. And so in order to be preventative, they want to treat it as quickly as possible.
2: They want to treat it like it's aggressive.
3: And so since then, she's had one dose of chemo, an additional surgery for central line to be put in. And tomorrow she will be having a surgery for a G tube placement because Mm -hmm. an NG tube has been causing more vomiting Mm -hmm. and a G tube is just easier because it's not in her mouth and down her nose. It's, it's in her tummy. It's direct. It might be easier on her stomach. And so we're going to give it a go. Her next set of chemo will be on the 31st of this month.
2: And as, as scary as it all is, the doctor's, And I think it's because they know that we're in a difficult situation, just having to live out of the hospital. But um, they'll say things like you can go home after this next cycle. And then the day before they will pull the rug out from under you and say, I'm not going to have you go home after this cycle. I'm going to have you stay another cycle. And so there's this feeling like, okay, we're going to get to the next cycle and you're going to say, you just got to stay because just they're evaluating that the risk of her getting sick outside of the hospital is just too great. That's, that's their fear. And, um, so we're just kind of there at an unknown amount of time and it's just not what we had planned for, for the first year of life for our baby.
3: Oh God, no. All right.
0: So, do the doctors have any outlook, any projection of time, or is it just in limbo right now? Are you guys just in the unknown?
3: We're in the unknown.
0: unknown. You're, You're in the unknown.
3: this tumor, enough to be able to give us that answer.
2: It's really rare, especially for her age, okay. um, and the protocols. They, they, they generally don't do MRIs to check and see how the chemo is doing until after three cycles.
3: So, so we don't know. We got we two more that. to go. Yeah. We don't know how the chemo's working. And so we're just, we're just waiting to see how, what those MRI results will be.
0: Well, first off, I want to say thank you. Thank you for honestly sharing that entire story with our listeners and with everyone who's going to tune in, because you have to relive that. You just relived all of that tra- traumatic experience. And to be able to tell that to everyone, to share that, uh, is brave. You're being very vulnerable and just thank you f- from Joey and I for just sharing it. it I can imagine how hard that is, especially because this is still ongoing. This isn't over. You know, you guys are still going to go battle this right after you get off of here. So mm-hmm. again, thank you.